Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what circumstances they were going through. My guests have survived incredible things. And as a result, they have the passion to help others who may be going through through something similar. This is what is so special, I believe, about each of my guests, is they all want to help someone else who may be experiencing trauma as they did. Some have overcome extreme poverty, some have overcome severe abuse or depression or disease, some have even lived through wars and have an incredible story of survival. Each one of my guests are fighters and each one is a winner and they want to share their tips, their insights, their story, their journey, and how you too can overcome these similar circumstances in your own life. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries, and that shows me that no matter where we are on this planet, we are looking for hope and we're looking for stories and especially true stories. I love true stories and each one of these of my guests have a special story to share. So I thank you to all my guests and I also thank my listeners because without you we wouldn't have a show. So I appreciate your input and your feedback and your reviews. Thank you. Today with me I have a woman by the name of Fran Sandin. Fran is an author who shares her own story and also those of others who have gone through severe trauma and they have found strength to not only get through it but also to help others on their own incredible journeys. She has is an author. She has written articles for magazines including Focus on the Family, Decision, Home Life, Virtue and many others. She's also written two books, Touching the Clouds, True Stories to Strengthen Your Faith and See You Later, Jeffrey. Both of these books are going to touch your heart. She's going to share her courage and also what it takes to get through such a severe loss. So welcome, please, Fran Sandin. Hello, Carol. Hi, Fran. It's so good to have you here today. And I know we have many things to talk about. And in reading your story, I think that you are, you could probably say you are an expert in grief coping. 
And I think this is one of the things that we're going to zero in on today is because there is a lot of grief and a lot of pain and a lot of loss that people endure. And you're going to not only share your story, but also how you have coping skills and can uh, give those coping skills to others. So I really appreciate what you're going to share today, Fran. Thank you. Well, thank you, Carol. I'm just excited to share with you and your listeners about our little son, Jeffrey. We moved to Greenville, Texas uh, for my husband to begin his practice as a urologist. And as a medical doctor, he was very busy. I had already uh, been taking care of our other two children, uh, Steve and Angie. And so our little Jeffrey was born here, and we were all excited. And he was just an absolute darling little boy. And at 17 months of age, he um, got sick on one Sunday morning. And I thought it was just um, a little virus that was going around. And so my husband took care of my uh, son and daughter and... I stayed at home with Jeffrey that day. I gave him liquids and everything, but as the day wore on, he just became lethargic. So we called our family doctor and asked him uh, his advice. And he said, oh, there's a virus going around and a lot of children are sick right now. And I think that's probably what's wrong with your Jeffrey. But as the day wore on, we realized, no, it was worse. It was something really bad because he was not responding well. So we went ahead and took him to the emergency room here in our local hospital. And we have a wonderful pediatrician there, and he was helping us. And my husband joined me at the hospital in the, in the waiting room while he was being examined. And Jim's mother had moved to Greenville, and so she was here to help take care of Stephen and Angie while we were at the hospital with Jeffrey. So we waited and waited, and finally, uh, the doctor came in to the waiting room and told us that it appeared that Jeffrey had bacterial meningitis. Oh. And we were so stunned and had no idea because he had not been sick with any uh, cold or runny nose or anything. So this was completely out of the blue. Well, um, I just started crying because um, as a nurse, I understood all the ramifications of that terrible disease. And during that time, um, in the early 70s, a lot of children who got this particular kind, which is Haemophilus influenza type B, um, actually, no matter what you did medically, they passed away. Wow. So we knew that this was very, very serious. Um, so he was in the intensive care unit uh, for the night, and early the next morning, he began having seizures. And so our pediatrician called the Children's Medical Center in Dallas and 
Jeffrey was transferred to uh, Children's Medical. And I'll have to say that everything medically possible was done for Jeffrey. He had the, the finest minds in pediatric medicine were waiting for him to arrive that morning by ambulance. My husband went over with the ambulance and a dear friend of mine said, oh, I'll, I'll drive you. I just was so upset and she was such a comfort to be with me uh, during that time. So she drove me over to the hospital and we waited and waited in the waiting room there to find out what the situation would be. So this is on a Monday morning, and the doctors came out and told us that it would be at least 24 hours or more before they would know if Jeffrey would make it. Oh, my goodness. He had already had all of the necessary antibiotics for that particular kind of bacteria. So he had, he had actually been treated early in the course of the illness, uh, but we just had to wait and see. So he was in intensive care there at Children's Medical, and the personnel were just fabulous taking care of him. Um, my mother and dad lived in Mineola, Texas, and they drove up to be with us, and we had a lot of friends from our community that came over, and they were just so supportive and, and helpful. And we waited, and on Wednesday, uh, Jeffrey took a turn for the worse. He was, he was in a hospital room, but then he stopped breathing, and I was, I was standing by the bed, and so I called the nurse quickly. I, I wanted to respond by just being a nurse, but at that moment, I just became Jeffrey's mother, and I was just totally helpless. The, the people came right away, and um, they resuscitated him, and at that time, he had been out of the ICU for a few hours, but they put him back in ICU, and that's where he remained. I was very, um, I was so hopeful, mm. I was so hopeful that he would have a turnaround, and I, I just envisioned him um, maybe sitting in my lap and letting me stroke his beautiful blonde hair and and look into his blue eyes and just tell him, oh, honey, you almost died, but yeah. but you didn't. You were saved. And I could just see him on a little rocking horse or playing with his toys. And this was, this was in my mind and in my heart all the time that he was sick. But then on Wednesday, um, he was placed on life support. You know, the... This particular bacteria strikes the spinal cord and the brain. And so it was very difficult. Even then the doctors told us that they um, didn't know if he would make it, but they would give him 24 hours. 
So we had that 24 hours to wait and and just pray and just hope that he would turn around and that something good would happen. So then on Thursday, um, the doctors came to us and told us that Jeffrey's brain function had declined and actually he had he had no brain function and that they recommended that we remove the life support because um, there was nothing there. So um, Jim and I had uh, we had prayed together and for some reason I had um, peace as we walked into the ICU and um, we uh, gave our son back to God. That had to be the greatest sacrifice, like just to 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 do that. I mean, all the emotions um, around that. And was guilt one of them too? As you were talking, I was, you know, because you're trying everything too. So address that a little bit too, just what you went through emotionally. Oh, yes, yes. I, I had taken Jeffrey with me to run some errands on the day before he got sick. And I couldn't help but think, oh, what if I had not taken him and maybe just stayed at home that day and not run those errands? Um, I had no idea how he picked up that disease. And so I was really beating myself up about it and thinking I I should have done, or if only... I had done this, or if only I had done that, you know, maybe he wouldn't have gotten sick. So, yes, it was very difficult to deal with the guilt. And I was very um, emotionally upset. I I just cried and cried, and um, even my husband, who had never cried, I'd never seen him cry. And um, even he cried then. It was very hard to give up our little boy. He was such a beautiful baby, and he was so smart. Um, Even at 17 months, we could ask him to do something, and he would. And then I remembered how how cute he was in his high chair when he he ate his food and he ate his um, ice cream. He would turn it, turn the ice cream cone upside down, and and eat the <laughs> and eat the cone first. It was so cute, and uh, I never minded uh, taking care of him. I loved him so much. And when was this, friend? Uh, he died in 1974. Isn't that amazing? How you know, like you are definitely emotional right now and how that never goes away you know there is no pain i think deeper than than the loss of a child and it stays with you but that's not the end of the story i know oh no okay and how prevalent is it like how many what are the stats as far as how many is it just children that have been affected well, I don't have any updated uh, statistics, but I know that in 19, 
1972, there were um, about 29,000 cases attributed to haemophilus influenza meningitis, and most of those were between the ages of 18 months and two and a half years. Really? And so, um, and a lot of those children died. I don't know the updated statistics on that. How long did it take before you could feel like you could function again? I would say, I, I don't really know. I can't really give you a particular date or time. It was a process. And it was a process of a long time for me. Um, I could function, but it was like I wasn't really normal. Right, you were numb probably, right? I was just numb, mm-hmm. yes. I was in shock because he got sick on Sunday, and on Thursday he was gone. Wow, that's unbelievable. Yeah, that's, and, that's too much for the mind to even comprehend, to process, right. you know. right. And so it does take a while for the, you know, in your head, you know that that he's gone, but in your heart, it takes a really long time for it to really sink in. And I think that's kind of a protection mechanism. You can't deal with it all at one time. Mm-hmm. Now, this was in 1974, did you say? Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, what about your... Your second son, what happened there? Okay, well, <clears throat> our son Steve, um, at the age of 29, um, we discovered that he had a type of cystic fibrosis. And that is a genetic disease. And the reason that his symptoms did not come up until then is because my husband and I were tested, and I had the regular genetic disease gene, and my husband had malformation of that gene. And so, actually, we had no idea, because our son Steve was um, very athletic. He was strong, uh, physically strong. He had great nutrition. Um, he was the, in high school, he was like, on the basketball team, he was the star player on the basketball team. And every everything he did athletically, he excelled. Mm. He p- put on a pair of skis and just started skiing. I mean, <laughs> he had such great balance and everything. But he... He went to college. He went to Texas A&M University in Bryan, Texas, and received a bachelor's degree in kinesiology because he wanted to be a physical therapist. And so he did um, go to physical therapy school. Eventually, he worked for a while out of college and then went to... um, the University of St. Augustine Physical Therapy School and graduated with a master's degree. And so he had just moved back to Texas, to Arlington, where he began working at Arlington Memorial Hospital as a physical therapist. 
By this time, he was the age of 29, and he loved his profession. He loved it so much, but shortly after he started his job, he got pneumonia, and the doctor who took care of him said, Steve, I've taken care of patients with uh, cystic fibrosis, and I believe that you have the disease. Wow. And so we were shocked, and we didn't believe it, but he had a positive sweat test, which is the primary test for um, cystic fibrosis. And it was positive. And Jim and I said, well, no one in our family has it that we know of. Uh, could we test him again just to make sure? And they did the second test, and sure enough, he did have cystic fibrosis. So he had to begin treatments uh, um, for his lungs uh, four times a day with a special nebulizer and medication to ease the uh, secretions because the disease makes the secretions in the lungs real thick and all the other secretions in the body become thickened as well. So it affects also the digestive system. So he had to start taking enzymes. Well, at, at his... The time that he started all this treatment, he was six foot two, and he weighed almost two hundred pounds. But it was all muscle. He worked out all the time, and so he was very um, vibrant and healthy looking. And no strong. one would. Ever, <laughs> strong, right? I was very strong, very strong, and no one would even suspect that he had anything wrong with him. So he started. Um, he started that, and then um, shortly after that, he also was having uh, problems with his um, kidneys, and so tests proved then that he had another separate disease. This is about seven years later from the original um, diagnosis that all of this came to fruition, but it was discovered at at the time that he had the cystic fibrosis that he had a kidney problem. It was one that most people go on to live a normal life, 75% go on to live a normal life, and 25% go on to have kidney failure. Steve had been able to work as a physical therapist. Um, and he continued his working, and then when he was uh, seven years later, he had an attack of, at, at night, he couldn't breathe, and he was having uh, problems with his urinary system, and he almost died. And when he got to the hospital, the doctors had to start dialysis because his kidneys had totally shut down so now he had cystic fibrosis and he also had kidney failure so he was in the ICU for a long time and then he was able to go home 
But he had to, now he had, in addition to the lung treatments, he also had to go to the dialysis clinic three times a week for dialysis. And in between all this, he was still trying to work and work part-time. He had to go to home health to um, be able to work his schedule. No kidding. That's like a full-time job, getting the treatments. Absolutely. He was totally amazing. You know, the amazing thing, too, is that as a physical therapist in physical therapy school, he learned how to take care of patients Mm. with cystic fibrosis. Amazing. Yes. And so, all that to say, um, he had, he had two diseases that were fighting with each other. With cystic fibrosis, you need to take a lot of liquids because that helps to liquefy the secretions in the body that get really thick. But with kidney failure, you need to limit your fluids because of the problem of your not having kidneys working properly. And so there were so many ways that these two diseases were fighting with each other. So it was a real balance act for him to be able to take care of himself and not have too much liquid or not enough liquid and all of that. And all that to say, he had many, many hospitalizations for lung infections, and um, he had a lot of IV antibiotics. After three years, actually, he was able to go on a type of dialysis that's called peritoneal dialysis, and which instead of going to the clinic every Uh, three times a week, he was able to take care of himself at home for his dialysis with a computerized machine. Now, he was able to do this and, and take care of his lung condition, but by this time, his, his strength was diminishing, his weight was dropping, um, and also his strength was beginning to fade. How old is he at this point? Okay, he would have been um, in his in his thirties. Okay. And then, um, as he got closer to forty, um, my husband and I were able to take him with us on some trips. It was just amazing how we were able to do this, but with the peritoneal dialysis. He was able to get the Fresenius company that has the machine to send one to the hotel where we were going to be going to. And all of the solution and everything that was necessary for his dialysis could be sent there. So he got all of that coordinated. He got a oxygen concentrator, which he used at night for his breathing. And so we were able to take him on two trips to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and two trips to San Antonio at different times during that span of seven years that he was um, 
sick with both kidney and uh, lung problems and digestive problems. So, anyway, there were some very bright times that my husband and I had with Steve in those in those last days. He had to go to the intensive care unit, and he was there, and he wasn't able to breathe. It was just, it was going to be the last time for him in the hospital. And so he passed away September 22nd, 2012. It was very, very difficult to say goodbye to our son. He was 43. He had lost down to 140 pounds. Uh, and the antibiotics just didn't work anymore and could not overcome um, his his infections. Now, was he born after Jeffrey died? Actually, he was uh, five years old when Jeffrey died, and Angie was three. Our daughter was three. So he... You know, he had gone through a little grief himself. Oh, I just, I'm very, I don't know what to say. I mean, just, I can hear it in your voice. The grief and also your courage and your ability to cope with this. Losing two sons. Continue your story. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm blown away here by, by what you've had to endure. Go ahead. Well, I will just say that being able to pray through all of this, um, I was so thankful that my son knew God. And when he passed, I just knew that he was he was going to heaven because he had made a confession of his faith in Christ. And I was so blessed to know that. And so that comforted me at the time of his death, and I'm just so thankful. I'm so thankful for all the times that we had together, and Steve was such a worker, a hard worker, even after he was unable to work anymore as a physical therapist. He started a home-based business selling air purifiers, Mm. and... um, I mean, he just worked so hard. He wanted to be independent. He had um, a townhouse in Irving, Texas, and I live in Greenville, which is an hour and 15 minutes away. But all during the time he was sick and in the hospital, I would go and be with him and, um, and try to help him as much as I could. And so I'm blessed by having that time with him. And then because he had extra time after he could no longer work as a therapist, he felt led to write a um, couple of books. Really? And, and so he used his time so wisely and so carefully. And um, his life was such a blessing to so many people that... I just have to concentrate on that and concentrate on being grateful. And how did your daughter deal with all of this? Uh, My daughter was very close to her brother. And it was very difficult for her. 
um, she and I were more a lot more emotional, uh, crying and having trouble with just dealing with it all. And her husband and my husband had more. Uh, I think they sort of deal with their grief in a different way. They they pour their lives into their work, right? And they just deal with it differently. But you know, my daughter was very. She was very close to him, so it was it was almost the same. I think as as losing a child. I mean, it's like. Yes. Part of you seems to be laid in the grave. Her little dog, she has two little dogs, Daisy and Lily, and they are dapple dachshunds. And they are I just have a, a dapple dachshund. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Lily is the little uh, psychologist of the family. <laughs> and so she was taking care of... Uh, Angie, uh, while she was going through grief, this little dog would just, she would not let her out of her sight, and she was her pet therapist (laughs) while Angie was recovering from all of this. I believe that thoroughly because um, my daughter had one as well, and when, um, when she went through some trauma in her life, that... I don't think she could have survived it without having that little dog. He just mm-hmm. seemed to know what she needed and to mm-hmm. never leave her side and to even kind of nuzzle in and, and get under her elbow like as if to say, I'm here to support you. Right. you know, it's just amazing that they that they have this kind of connection and understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe that pets are, are definitely good therapy. So now mm-hmm. you've you've... You've gone through this and you're trying to stay strong and you're trying to be brave through the whole thing. And then what happened with your father? Okay. Actually, my father, um, it was in 1991. So this was between the death of Jeffrey and the death of Steve. Um, My dad was a wonderful man. He was a World War II veteran. He had a wonderful singing voice, and uh, he was just a very patriotic um, man. He was an automobile mechanic, and he just had so much mercy and care for people that um, when a family would come into his little shop, and they would have a car that needed to go all the way to Dallas, but the car had broken down. My dad would be the one to stay at the shop and fix that car, especially if there were children involved. And so he had a big, big heart for people, and um, he was just a very loving and a very good father. However, he did have a bout of depression and had to be hospitalized for it. Really? And then um, a few years later, uh, he decided he decided to retire because he was having some back problems. And so he retired, uh, and he was at the age of 71. It was during that time that the Gulf War was going on, and... You know, you couldn't turn on your television without watching Mm -hmm. 
almost real time, all the fighting and all the night, uh, you know, these special lights yes. that they had at night and everything. I mean, it was just almost every day. And my dad had more time at home, and I think he was watching some of that. He never talked about World War II, about his experiences, except that he was in the Army. And I'm sure he, he was a sensitive man, and I'm sure it was a horrible experience for him, but he never talked about it. And so, uh, with this backdrop in mind... Um, he and my mother had just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary, and my brother and sister and I had given them a big party, and that was in September. Then, in January, after that, my dad became very depressed, and get, he went to the doctor, and the doctor gave him medication like he had given him the last time he had a problem with depression and my sister and I had visited with my dad uh, on a Wednesday and uh, we talked to him and we knew that he was depressed but we gave him some ideas about things to do that that might help him and to get some exercise get out of the house go for walks um, and maybe even uh, call a neighbor and, you know, get together with some mm -hmm. friends and things like that. And so he said, oh, I think I can do that. And so I left him on Wednesday and I said, well, I love you, Dad. And he said, I love you too. And we had a nice hug and then I walked out the door. Then on Monday morning, the following Monday, I got a telephone call. And it was my mother's neighbor, Ruth. And Ruth sounded very, her voice was low and steady. And she said, Fran, you need to come. Your mother needs you. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, well, just come and bring Jim with you. So I called my husband's medical office and I called the secretary, and I told her, I said, we have to go t to Mineola right away. Um, my mother needs me right now. And so she said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll reschedule his patients for today, and um, I'll get Dr. Sandin to come right home. So he did. He came home, and we had no idea. But when we drove into the driveway at my mother's house, um, police car was there, um, the ambulance was there, and um, when I walked in, my mother was crying, and she said, I can't believe it, but your daddy shot himself. And so, there we were. Um, I was just horrified, and so we had a very difficult time uh, after that, and I had a really, really hard time because I beat myself up. I was, I felt so guilty. I felt like I should have 
told mother that daddy needed to go to the hospital on Wednesday and you know I just I took a lot of guilt on myself it was very hard for me but the greatest thing I did was I I went into a friend's home and she had a little plaque and it said I cannot assume uh, responsibility for what I cannot control. Um, I could not control my father, and I couldn't accept responsibility for what he did because I certainly would not have wanted him to do what he did and take his own life. But it was something I had no control over. So I went through a time when I, I was really angry. I was angry with him for doing it. I was angry for myself mm-hmm. not doing something about him on Wednesday when I saw him the last time. For a while, I was even angry at God, thinking, why didn't you do something, God, you know? Right. And so um, all that to say that... It was just a really difficult time, but I went through a time when I, um, about that time, I had a back problem, and I, I remember just lying on the floor. Um, I was grieving. I was hurting. It seemed like God had put, pulled down the shade for me. You know, my soul was just grieved, but He revived me by remembering some things that He said in his word and so that that helped me a lot now when you are saying in his word you're referring to the bible is that correct correct yes so what was what were some of the things that you remember that was a strength to you at this time okay um i remember that he said in that he would never leave me or forsake me. And so that that reminded me that he he was there. And then I know that um, he, that even if we are grieve, if we're grieving, I feel like he is grieving with us and that he cares about us. He's got such compassion. Uh, you know, he's he showed through the Bible. You know, even when Jesus had a friend who died, Jesus wept because he, his heart was touched. And so I know that, that God's heart is touched when we grieve. He grieves with us. And that, that helped me. Written two books, correct? And one is a story of Jeffrey. And the other is a compilation of stories. So share a little bit about those books and and who would be interested in and and who they would help. Okay. Um, I wrote the book, See You Later, Jeffrey. Um, I started it about two years after Jeffrey died. And I was trying to find answers to my questions because back then, in the 70s, there were not very many books that would deal with the death of a child. And so, 
I was just asking these questions. Is God punishing me? And how can I overcome fear? And will I ever give a, get over this? And am I becoming bitter? And so I wrote all these questions down, and then I started looking for answers. And over a period of four years, I wrote out a manuscript. I would go down to a... We had a little lake cabin at a lake near our home. And I would go down, and I would write a while, and then I'd cry a while, and I'd just write and cry. And I had my little... You yes, were going to I, therapy. You're I therapy. was. I was. It was very therapeutic to write it out, and that's one of the things I would suggest to anyone who's going through grief: just write out your feelings. It helps to get it out. And so I would write, cry, and pray. And so after four years, I had a little manuscript, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I went to the public library, checked out a library book on how to prepare a manuscript, and over the next few years, I sent it out 25 times, and it came back every time, but sometimes it would have an encouraging note. Then a friend told me I should go to a writer's conference, and I went to a writer's conference and got some suggestions, and then the next year, I went back after reworking the manuscript, and I received a contract from Tyndale House Publishers. So, 11 years after I first started writing, See You, Jeffrey was published. And then, a few years later, I had sent a copy to um, someone in Germany who had requested one of my articles. And um, he wrote back on the internet and asked me if I had ever thought of having it translated into Russian. And so, of course, I hadn't. <laughs> and so he said, well, I would like to do that because this book has ministered to a family that I was working with. So we did back and forth and through the email, and so he was able to translate See You Later, Jeffrey, into Russian, and it has been distributed in the Ukraine and in Germany, and I've even received some letters written in Russian, and so I didn't know what to do, but there's a, a Tony's Italian restaurant here in town, and one of the girls that works there is from Belarus. So when I received my letters from Russia, I would go down and say, oh, please, can you interpret this for me? And she would. So I was so excited no to receive response like that. So that that is See You Later, Jeffrey. And it is available on Amazon it's also, um, you can download it on a Kindle if you want to. Then the other book I wrote is called Touching the Clouds. And I interviewed 15 women who had gone through different life situations. A lot of them were very, very hard situations. One was 
um, a girl whose husband uh, had an affair, and she tells how that worked out. And then another lady had a son who was uh, had AIDS, and she describes her story and her heartache. So Another, a variety of stories then. Oh, yes, may, many different ones. One had alcohol problems. One had um, bulimia, which is a, that is a different problem. And so there were a lot of different problems. Um, and so each lady that I interviewed, I wrote their story in first person. Then at the end of the story, I identified a quality that they demonstrated, an element of, of God's grace. Yes, that yes. Show. And so then I wrote a little bit about that. That's a good idea. So who would be, who's your audience for your books? Is it basically anyone or people who have been through grief or maybe going through or... Uh, is it written as a story, as a novel? Share a little bit about uh, your market. Okay. Well, I think I think basically I'm thinking of women who've gone through difficult trials. Uh, but even I've had some men to tell me that they were really touched by the See You Later Jeffrey book. So I think anyone who's struggling to find help, um, who needs a word of hope and would like to be able to get through a difficult situation no matter what it is. I think some of the principles that I've shared would really minister to these situations, whatever they might be. Well, I really appreciate what you shared today because, as I mentioned earlier uh, during this broadcast, that when you lose a child, you it's always there. The pain, mm-hmm. the memory, all the various emotions, negative and positive, that you have gone through. And so I, I know that you really shared from your heart today. And those who have listened, I'm sure, have listened with their hearts. And you don't know who you're going to reach and who you're going to touch and that they can know that even though they have gone through such horrendous circumstances that they can get through it and as you shared that God helped you through Mm -hmm. that and there is Mm -hmm. that strength and that knowledge that um, you will see Jeffrey again. I love the title, See You Later, Jeffrey, because mm-hmm. I heard it said once that a Christian never has to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really, uh, it mm-hmm. really gripped my heart because it's true. You know that you're going to see your son again. And it, there's there's that promise and that, that um, hope that you will see him again and all the time past won't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. And it just brings that hope and encouragement to anyone who may be going through something similar. So I appreciate that and look forward to to reading your book also of the other stories of various circumstances and the endurance that people have had to 
deal with. And so I thank you for that. And Mm -hmm. I thank you for what you shared today in every aspect and also from your tender, your tender heart, your emotional, your emotional heart. And I look forward to reading your books and also to sharing them because I'm sure that there are a lot of people that will be touched by it. So thank you so much, Fran. Is there anything else that you want to share? I will have all of this up, of course, in your show notes, so people will be able to, to get your book very easily. But is there anything else mm-hmm. in conclusion that you would like to, to add? Well, I was encouraged by um, a quote from the late Senate um, chaplain, Peter Marshall, and it said, Those we love are with the Lord, and the Lord has promised to be with us. If they are with Him, and He is with us, they cannot be far away. Oh, that's beautiful. Very, very beautiful. Mm -hmm. And that really concludes everything that you said, and I thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So thank you again, Fran, for being on Never, Ever, Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.